Amen. It's good. Come on, can you say thank you to Stephanie one more time? It's not easy getting up, right? Sharing vulnerable things in front of people. So good. So good. Well, tonight is one of our welcome weekends. We drop these in every so many months. So if you are visiting tonight, if you're visiting online, or if you've been visiting in the last several weeks, then you've picked a good night to come because we're going to talk a little bit about who we are and what we believe and what we're about here at the City Life Church. Next week, we're going to launch into a series. Tonight kind of launches it a little bit because we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about many of Jesus's conversations with Peter. And the summer series is called Conversations. And every week, we're going to look at a conversation that somebody has with God. It could be God the Father. It could be God the Holy Spirit. It could be God the Son. It could be in the Old Testament. It could be in the New Testament. But all summer, we're going to be looking at conversations. Now, don't get confused because you're also going to see through our social media, you're, you're going to see us promote something called a summer in song because that's what we're calling the worship experience all summer, a summer in song. And then each week we're going to have some part of the worship set that might be a kind of a flashback to a, a song from a decade or so ago that maybe was big for us then, not so big for us now, but we have all these warm memories, right, attached to these songs that we used to sing together. Part of it's also going to be different kind of, of, of worship styles we want to share with you. You know, we have a very distinct style of worship here at City Life Church, but this isn't the only way that you can worship. So we've got guest musicians that are going to come in, and so this is also part about us celebrating just being a part of the body of Christ and the family of God here in the 757, a summer in song for worship and conversations for our messages. But tonight we're going to be looking at Peter, and the first thing that we want to look at tonight is this idea of Jesus finding Peter. Jesus finding Peter. Matthew 4, 18 to 22 reads this way. It says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If any, all right, that's not the right verse. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Okay, this sounds right. Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fish for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets, and at once they followed him. Verse 21, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called out to them too, and immediately they followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. City life is a place where people discover that Jesus is looking for them. This is important to us. We articulate this through this one word called encounter. City life is a place, a safe place, where people discover the idea that Jesus is looking for them. Now, now, I want you to think about some of the most memorable moments in your life. Some of those memorable moments. I think about Kenny and Sarah Crump, who just had their little boy, Dawson. Come on, this week. So good. I guarantee you that's one of the most memorable moments in their life. When that little boy was placed into their arms for the first time. You've got moments like that in your life. If you're married and 
and you're the groom like me, there's this moment where the door opens at the back of the church and you see your bride there standing in the doorway. It's a memorable moment. Maybe when you were applying for colleges and there was that one school that you really wanted to go to, but you thought, there's no way I'm going to get in, but you had some friends that talked you into applying anyways, and lo and behold, you get a letter in the mail accepting you. Right? That's a memorable moment. How about, let's go really back to when you were really young, when you were in high school, and you wanted to ask somebody to prom. And your friend says, that person is way out of your league. Do they, do they use that kind of language today? Because that's what they used back in the 80s when I was going to school. They're like, that, that, that person's way out of your league. But you, you muster the courage to do it anyways, and lo and behold, they say yes. And you walk into the prom with this person that's way out of your league. It's a memorable moment. I don't even know what a silent dance party is. I'm just telling you. Right? There, there are questions that define whether or not you are old or young, and certainly that is one of them. If you're like me and you're 54 and you hear David talking about a silence dance, dance party, like it's a matter of fact and everyone knows. I, second week in a row, I looked at Vanessa and said, I still don't know what a silence dance party is. If you don't know, then you're old like me. Memorable moments. If you've ever been found by Jesus, it's one of the most memorable moments of your life. The, the, the moment where you realize that the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, was looking for you and found you, and extended an invitation to you that said, I want you to be a part of my family. There was something in your heart. You will never forget that feeling. This is part of who we are at the City Life Church. Can I just tell you, every single weekend that we gather together, there is a stirring of excitement inside of me, believing that this weekend could be a weekend where somebody is found by Christ for the very first time. For the very first time. I remember for me, I've shared it many times before, it was in the summer of 1999. I graduated from college. I was bartending at a restaurant in downtown Richmond. I was standing behind the bar and the band was playing. And all of a sudden this question came into my head. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? See, because Jesus can find us in any setting, in any situation. He's not bound by time or place. If he's looking for us, he will come to wherever we are. I didn't want to answer that question because I've been around church long enough to know that if you start a conversation with God, that he's not just kind of the one question kind of person. He's got lots of questions that he wants to ask. And finally, I answered to that, my answer to that question was yes. And the next question that came was, don't you think you ought to at least take the time to read what he had to say? And that summer in 1990, I began to pick up the Bible for the very first time, began to read in the Gospel of John. And I came to John 10, chapter 10, where it says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. And something happened to me in that moment when I read that verse. In, in reading that verse, I realized that the very reason I was running from Christ is that because I wanted to have an incredible life. And I realized in that moment that I was running from the very thing that I was seeking. Because Jesus is the only one who can give us that. The greatest adventure that you will ever find will be the adventure that you have in full devotion to Jesus. It was that summer that I realized Jesus was saying to me, I want you to be a part of my family. And it was in December later on in that year that I made that vow of devotion to him. Every weekend, I believe, can be a weekend where people come here 
whether it's this church or some other church on the peninsula, that's my prayer, that someone's going to be found by Christ and it's gonna be a memorable moment for them. Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 14, 24. It says, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. Now, this is a great example of a text that, that because of its primary reason, which is talking about the misuse of spiritual gifts, that, that it overshadows some of the other truth that's in there. And some of the other truth that's in here in 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul saying to the church of Corinth, don't forget one of the reasons why you're supposed to gather is that when the people of God get together, it can awaken people to the reality that there's a living God who's looking for them. And so every week that we come together, I hope that if you've been found by Christ, that one of the greatest reasons why you choose to come is that you're trying to create a crowd for a spiritually enriching environment where people come in, whether they know anything about Christianity or Jesus or the Bible at all, that they can come into an environment like this and then all of a sudden they begin to feel as though Jesus is looking for them. I want to be a part of creating a crowd like that for the rest of my life. It's one of the reasons why we design our service the way that we do. Stephanie didn't know what we were going to be sharing this tonight, but that's one of the reasons why we keep a microphone right down there next to Vanessa and I, because we believe that God is the living God and that he speaks. He's not a belief and a doctrine, although we have beliefs and doctrines that speak to us about what is true. But ultimately, those beliefs and the doctrines, if they don't lead to a relationship, then it's just religious intellectualism. So we keep a microphone there during the service because we trust that this is an awakening, an awakening environment. That it could be that someone's going to share something, God's going to give somebody something, that's going to speak to somebody, and it's going to stir their heart to believe that Jesus is looking for them. Worship is about awakening people to the presence of God. Worship is not the opening act for the message. It's not. The music isn't about trying to entertain you. Worship is it about awakening you to the reality of a living God. The preaching. Do you learn? I hope you do. But at the end of the day, it's not about learning. It's about awakening you to the reality of a living God who loves you. When we pray at the end of the service here at the altar, when we gather before and after service talking with one another. We're going up and talking to people that are visitors, not because it is a strategy for church growth. We want to go up and talk to people who are visiting because we want to create a feeling in them that Jesus is looking for them. When you come up with a friendly face and greet someone, what we're trying to do is create a feeling in their heart that God loves them and cares about them and that he's glad they're here. Hospitality is not about church growth. It's about awakening people. I hope that every week that you come, that you come because you're trying to create a crowd because you, like us, believe that city life is supposed to be a safe place where people discover the idea that Jesus is looking for them to have an encounter, to have an encounter with a living God who loves them deeply. Second one is this, Jesus loving Peter. 
Jesus loving Peter. We like the idea that Jesus is looking for us, but once we've been found by him, hey, guess what? He's got some things that he wants to talk to us about. See, once that conversation with God starts, it's going to keep going for the rest of our lives. This is in Luke 5, 5 through 8. It says, Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night. It didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. See, these are fishermen by trade. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, hey, let's try again. They're like, okay, if you say so. Faithless, doubting, but yet here they are with such a large catch, the nets begin to tear and the boats begin to sink. And Peter, realizing that Jesus truly is divine, falls to his knees and listen to what he says to him. Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. You see, being found by Jesus is one of the most memorable moments of our lives because of how loved we feel in that moment. But it very quickly also becomes one of the most challenging seasons in our lives because we realize how unworthy we are of that love. And instead of pushing us away, Jesus rolls up his sleeves and begins to do the hard work with us. City Life is a safe place where people help each other see their sin. Let me say that again. City Life is a safe place where people help each other see their sin, embrace. This is part of what it means to embrace the family of God, that we begin to step into this relationship with all of these other people, and guess what? They're having the same journey with Jesus that we are. We were found by him, we're loved by him, we're celebrated by him, but also he's at work changing and transforming us. And then we go on this journey encouraging one another together to become more like the Savior who found us. See, I believe the church Jesus envisions for City Life is a diverse church, and one of the reasons why it's supposed to be diverse is that we need people who look and think differently than we do to help us see our blind spots. The Holy Spirit, does he speak to us about things in our lives that need to change? Sure he does, but you know what else he does? Oftentimes he speaks to us through people. If you spend your whole life with people that think just like you, you know what you're going to do? You're going to spend your whole life with people who have the same blind spots that you do. And you're of no help to one another. You know what I've also found in life is that if you live your life with people who think exactly the same way that you do, you end up in an echo chamber. And echo chambers are dangerous places because they have a tendency at some point to start to call the sin that they wrestle with a virtue because they don't want to change. I want to be around people that challenge me to look more like Christ. I want to be around people that are willing to say the hard things to me because they love me. I posted this verse this week in Instagram and Facebook. It's Hebrews 10, 24. It reads this way. This is out of the King James. It says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 
I use the King James here because so many of the other translations have sanitized this verse because this word in the Greek makes them nervous. It's the word paroxysmos. And it literally means to incite. It is a word that means confrontation. It's only used one other time in the Bible. It's in Acts 15 when it talks about Paul and Barnabas had such a strong disagreement that they, their, their friendship fractured. Same word is used there. The text is inspired, but the translations, right? We got to be careful sometimes. You got to look at lots of different translations to really get a full representation of the original text. And the King James gets this one right. Provoke is the right word. Not inspire, not stir. It's provoke. And the reason why we don't like this word provoke is because we have a tendency to humanize biblical love. We want biblical love to only ever be gentle and kind. But biblical love is not just gentle and kind. Sometimes it is provocative. Sometimes it confronts us. Sometimes it challenges us in ways that we would not prefer to be challenged. We have an appetite for provocation here at the City Life Church. Not for contention and discord, because that's, that's, not, that's not what the Bible's talking about. Bible's talking about provoking one another in love because we care about one another, because we have one another's best interest at heart, and that we challenge each other in sometimes ways that we would prefer not to be challenged because we know that if we don't deal with the things in our life that are holding us back, as Paul writes in another text where he talks about casting the sin aside that so easily entangles there's three ways that we pursue diversity here at City Life. One is through celebration. Celebration. Madeline Harris, Jamal's wife, shared this with me several months ago. I read this back in March. It's a quote from the book, A Million Little Ways, Uncover the Art You Were Made to Live. It says, everyone has their own unique passions as well as their distinct burdens. We are responsible to pay attention to what moves us and respond in faith. The body of Christ grows when each member gives what they have to give. That applies not only to our gifting, but also to our burdens. What breaks your heart might not break mine. You are not responsible to convince me to change. You are responsible to be generous in the areas you feel free, you feel called to. Offer what you have in the presence of others. Pray over what breaks your heart in the presence of God. So good. We have a decision that we have to make in, the, in this life to not be offended by the passions and burdens that other people carry. To not be offended by the passions and burdens that other people carry. Galatians 6 challenges us to bear one another's burdens. It doesn't say that we're supposed to resist each other's burdens. We have someone that we consider a brother and sister in Christ who has a burden. Our first question is not supposed to be, uh, I don't know if I want to pick that up. Our first question should be, how can I carry this burden with them? Not because I necessarily share the burden, but because I care about this person. This is part of what it means to celebrate one another. I was in a little mini conference this week through a pastor mentoring program that I'm a part of, and the person that was sharing was teaching out of Nehemiah, and they were talking about Nehemiah from a different perspective, but as they were reading the text, I saw something in there that I had not seen before. 
I'm just going to reference it. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but it's in Nehemiah 1, 3 through 4, and then chapter 2, 1 through 4. This is where it tells the story about Nehemiah got a report that, that, that his people, he was Jewish, right? He is in captivity, and, and that his people were suffering, and it broke his heart. He was the cupbearer for the king, Artaxerxes. And the story tells us that he had never been sad in the presence of the king ever before in his life. That being a cupbearer is an important role in ancient times. So there was great trust, great affection the king would have for him. And it says that as he came into the king's presence, the king could see that he had been crying, that he had been upset. And so he asks him, he says, you've never been sad in my presence before. Why are you sad? And Nehemiah began to tell him about the plight of his people. You know what Artaxerxes did not say? What did those people do to deserve that? You know what Artaxerxes didn't do? He didn't say, I wonder if I agree with your pain. It's powerful what Artaxerxes says. He says, what? can I do for you? He's not Jewish. We, we, we know from history that he's not concerned with the plight of Nehemiah's people. We, we know from history that they are a conquering nation. It's the reason why the Jewish people are in captivity. But what's so powerful about this story is that we see that Artaxerxes the king cared that his friend, who was also his servant, and we could go as far to say his slave. He cared for him as a person. And so he shared his burden. I know for me too often in life when I see a brother and sister in Christ who might be in a place of lament, my first question is, are they right? My first question is, do I agree or support their cause? My question sometimes become, do I want to be aligned with a cause that I don't agree with? And what I see in the example of this pagan king is Christian love. Do I care about this person? And if I care about this person, then my first question should be, what can I do for you? It doesn't mean that we should not eventually ask some of the other questions. I'm not saying that because these are important questions to sometimes ask. What I'm saying is it shouldn't be the first question. The first question should be, how can I care for this person that I love? An example given to us by a pagan king. I want to be like Artaxerxes when I grow up. Come on. Celebration. We pursue diversity through confidence. Confidence is a shortened phrase for confident pluralism. It's an important part of what I believe and been teaching the church about. A confident pluralism isn't about winning every argument that you find yourself in. It's about learning and bringing your ideas to the marketplace because truth always prevails. That's the essence of confident pluralism. Truth is the goat. It's undefeated. So if your point of view is true, if your point of view is right, then I've got to, myself included, not be so intimidated by points of views that other people have that are different from mine because if I'm right, guess what? Truth will prevail. And in those conversations and discussions, I should develop 
an attitude of curiosity, not of contentiousness. Curiosity, not contentiousness. This is how we find a sense of community with one another who oftentimes believe things differently. Does it mean that we don't believe that there are moral boundaries? Absolutely we do. We preached a whole sermon on, 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 on June 12th in our series Shema when we talked about a moral conversion. Yes, of course there are moral boundaries. Yes, the Bible has hard lines that it draws about right and wrong. And it's important that we understand those. But it's also important that we understand that not everything that we believe is necessarily supposed to be a boundary for every other person on the planet. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, powerful verses for us. Again, I'm not reading there for the sake of time. You can always download these notes. But Philippians 2, 1 through 4 is where Paul says to you and to me that we're supposed to make room for one another. It uses words like thinking of other people more highly than ourselves. And then when it talks about being of one mind and one purpose, he's not saying everybody do the same thing and think the same way. We know that's not what he meant because he wrote so many other books of the Bible that say something very different than that. When, when he talks about being of one mind and one purpose, what he's saying is make room for the minds and the purposes of other people. Agree on that. Agree on that. Another way that we pursue diversity as a church, this idea of being a place that where we can love each other to help each other see our sin is through collaboration. Collaboration. Celebration, confidence, and collaboration. The idea of the Imago Dei is a central part of the Christian belief system. It traces its Inception back to the Garden of Eden where it says that we're made in the likeness and the image of God. Did you know that? That you bear the image of the creator of the universe. And in some ways we share that, but in other ways we don't. Meaning, meaning that every person that is alive, God has deposited something unique about him that's not in someone else. This is part of the beauty of the body of Christ coming together, is that the more we come together, the more collectively that we give the world a full picture and reflection of who God is. If we're not careful, if we have a tendency to reject everybody that's different than we are, we end up rejecting a part of God that we just don't understand. If you can't serve Jesus alongside people who are dramatically different than you are, you're rejecting a part of God that he is revealing to the world through them. Look at this list right here. Personalities, doctrinal beliefs, spiritual gifts, church preferences, politics, worldviews, social ills. If, if we had time tonight and we just did a survey just on this short list, just in this room alone, we would find that we are very different. We're, we're going to be the same on some, but very different on others. For too many of us, we were raised in an era of church where we were convinced that there was safety and sameness. And what I would suggest to you is that that has done a disservice to the Christian community for a very long time. Because sameness quickly becomes an echo chamber 
where everybody has the same blind spots and all of a sudden sin becomes a virtue. I want to be around people that think differently than me, that look differently than me, that have different points of views and perspectives. And I want those people to love me enough to point out blind spots that I have because I want to become more like Christ on this journey and in this life. In the same way that Peter had a sense that there were things in him that needed to change, I never want to lose that in my life as a devoted follower of Christ. See, there was a part of Peter when he fell to his knees and he said, get away from me, that there was an unworthiness that was broken. There was shame there and Jesus pulled him through that. But what Jesus wasn't saying to Peter is, Peter, don't desire change. What he was saying is, don't let shame get in the way of the change that I'm going to bring to you. I always want to have a feeling in my heart that there's more transformation that can come. And part of the gift of Christian community is that we help one another see that change and encourage each other in it because it's not easy. The last one is this, this idea of Jesus moving Peter. So we see him finding Peter, we see him loving Peter, and now we see him moving Peter. We, we, so the first one was about encounter, the second one was about embrace, right? We encounter God, we embrace God's family, and this last one about Jesus moving Peter is this idea of engaging God's mission. This is in Matthew 16, 15 to 18, it reads this way. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And so what he says about the church that he's saying Peter is going to be a part of building. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What an incredible invitation. He's saying, Peter, I'm going to build something that even all of hell, as powerful as it might be, cannot prevail over it. And I'm going to use you to help build it. City life is a safe place where people discover they have a part to play in God's mission. We want this to be a place where maybe for the very first time you have that feeling of being found by Christ. We want this to be a safe place where you find a family, where we lovingly encourage each other to overcome the sin that we struggle with. But can I just tell you, we also want this to be a place where you discover that Jesus is saying the same thing to you that he said to Peter. You have a part to play in my mission. God's mission is simple. It's to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus. Everything else is about that. To reconcile the world to himself through Jesus. Every passion and every burden that you have, God is saying to you that he put those things inside of you because those are the ways that he's going to help you discover how you're going to be a part of building the church that's committed to reconciling the world to him through Christ. 
there is revelation that comes to us about why we're here through our passions and burdens. There's insight and understanding about what God wants us to do with our life through understanding our passions and our burdens. That's why it's so important that we remember that other people's passions or burdens might be different than ours, but guess what? That's okay because their assignment might be different than yours. I don't know what your part is, but I know city life's part. And if God's aligning your passions and burdens with ours, then we say welcome. And if your passions and burdens are not aligned with ours, then what I would say to you is welcome still. Because it might be that you're supposed to be the person that brings that passion and burden into this community. We have a message. This message is given to us, we believe, by God because it's one of the ways that we're to work to reconcile the world to God through Jesus. And it's based out of Psalm 27, 13 that says, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We believe in a heaven now and a heaven forever journey as a devoted follower of Christ. In John 6, 60 to 68, it's the story in the Bible where most everybody who was following Jesus up until that point left him because they did not like what he had to say. This is part of our commitment through our message and what we teach and preach here at City Life. We never negotiate truth for a bigger crowd. Never negotiate truth for a bigger crowd. Every church has a message that it's supposed to bring. And it's our message with every other church's message that Jesus begins to weave together to reach a city with the gospel. Heaven now, heaven forever. We have a moment. Vanessa alluded to this earlier. We have a moment. And this moment is about us reconciling the world to God through Jesus. And that moment is your family from the first hello. We want when people walk in to feel like they are family from the very first greeting. Again, not because it's a church growth strategy, because we want them to feel what God is feeling towards them when he thinks of them. Part of this idea of your family from the first hello means that we believe that participation brings transformation. Again, myself included, for too many of us, we grew up in, a, in an era of church where, where before you were welcomed, you had to meet all kinds of standards and qualifications. And, 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 and where that was failing people is, is that they were never going to be able to meet those standards and meet those qualifications until they found community. See, it takes participation to bring transformation. So we say, come on. No matter how messed up your life might be, you can be family here. Now, are there some boundaries to that? Sure. We're not going to let you work in the nursery with the kids. You, you, you got to show some progress. We don't want kids learning new words from you. <laughs> but we joke if the person with the blue shirt on that's opening the door stubs their toe and you hear a word come out of their mouth that's shocking to you, instead of being offended, I want the phrase to pop into your head. Participation brings transformation. Because the longer they're here with that blue shirt on and the longer they keep stubbing their toe here around the people of God, guess what? Their words will change. Their words will change. Participation brings transformation. Your family from the first hello. That's our moment. Our mission 
Because we want to be a part of reconciling the world to God through Jesus. It's to build the church Jesus envisioned to love the world he died to save. In John 12, 32, Jesus said, if I be high and lifted up, I will draw people to myself. Now, was he talking about the crucifixion? Yes, he was. But you know what else he was talking about? He was talking about evangelism. And one of the greatest ways that we bring the message of the gospel to the world is through the character of Christ in us. When Jesus is talking about being high and lifted up, he's talking about his crucifixion, but you know what else he's talking about? He's talking about you and me. And he's talking about the work of transformation that happens in us in this journey. As I go on this journey of becoming a devoted follower of Christ and the care of Christ is formed in me, the world begins to see Jesus in my life through my attitudes and my actions. We build the church here at City Life by building you. And by you helping to build me to see the character of Christ formed in us more deeply. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We also have something here that we've been talking about this year and some of last year called our miracle. Because we believe this is also one of the ways that city life is called to reconcile the world to God through Jesus. Something incredible happened in May of 2019. This, these five acres and this 40,000 square foot facility was gifted to the City Life Church. We joke it was debt free, but it's not expense free. But it was a gift, a multi-million dollar gift. And I believe with all of my heart, the reason why God gifted City Life with this sacred responsibility, where a church has gathered and worshiped since the 1950s, I believe that one of the reasons why he did that is because he wants to resource this vision that we have that he gave us. A vision that's expressed through a message. A vision that's expressed through a moment. A vision that's expressed through a mission. And a vision that's expressed through what we now call a miracle. See, the early church in the book of Acts, it says that the world was in awe of them, and I believe that the church is still supposed to awe the world today. Today. We should create a sense of awe in the world. And then that awe causes them to come in and say, I think Jesus is looking for me. I believe one of the ways that we're supposed to awe the world is through what I'm calling a relationship miracle. A relationship miracle that even when we're not of one mind, we can still be of one heart. That's part of why we're a multi-church campus. That's why one of the reasons why we're one of five churches that are on this property throughout the week. Do all those churches believe the same things? Certainly not. You've heard me joke before, most of us as pastoring those churches would probably not, if we were not in vocation, we probably would not go to one another's church. Because we believe different things theologically. But that doesn't stop us from standing together in this mission to reconcile the world to God through Jesus. We have found a way to be of one heart even when we're not of one mind. We believe that just as you see on that sign, many different churches, many different congregations, that within city life itself, we're supposed to be a reflection of what you see practically through the sharing of this facility. 
that each of you have different ideas and beliefs. There are different theological leanings that you have that you bring into this congregation. The boundaries of Scripture are a lot bigger than what we've been led to believe that they are. Do they have boundaries? Yes, they do. But these boundaries are big enough for many of us to come together within the same church and the same congregation to the point that people in the world might look at us and say, I didn't know you went to City Life Church because I know this person who goes to City Life Church. How is it that you go to City Life Church? That's a relationship miracle. It's one of the ways that we're going to create a sense of awe in the world around us. The world is desperate. Listen to me. The world is desperate to learn how they can be reconciled to one another relationally. And when they begin to see people who believe dramatically different things reconciled to each other relationally, it begins to awaken a deeper question in their heart, and that is, have they been reconciled to God through Christ? Because the way that we are reconciled to each other relationally, when we believe incredibly divergent things, it's because we're coming together under the banner of Christ, and we are, when we are reconciled to him, we find that we can be reconciled to far more people than we otherwise thought was possible. Stand with me as we pray. Jesus. Father, we call these welcome weekends because we want people that have been visiting to understand who we are and, and what we are about. But the most important idea of welcoming really starts with you. We want people to know and to believe and feel, not just know in their mind, but feel in their heart that there is a welcoming that you want to bring to them to be in your family. So I pray for people that might be gathered here tonight for people that might be watching online. If they look back onto the story of their life and they cannot find a moment in time where they've made a vow of devotion to you, Jesus, that they're going to find that moment tonight. That at the end of this song, at the end of the service, when we're gathered here down at the front to pray with people, that if they're in this room, that they're going to find their way forward to pray with us. And tonight's going to be the night where that feeling of being found by Jesus comes for them. If they're watching online, that they're going to click that little button in the, on their screen where they're going to go into a private room with one of our hosts to pray. And they're going to discover tonight that feeling of being found by Jesus for the very first time. For all of us, God, for all of us, inspire our hearts, inspire our hearts. to remember those feelings of yesterday when we were found by you, but not to the degree that we long for what was, but let it be that what was would inspire us to believe for so much more in our tomorrows. For people that might be here tonight or watching online that are maybe stuck in this place of believing that their best years were their former years, I pray that you would just break that lie in their life tonight. 
in Jesus' name, that you would ignite something in their heart to believe that there is a future for them, that there is a part and a plan that you want them to play in your kingdom, that it is an assignment that you want them to discover that gives them an eternal sense of purpose. We pray too, Father, for people that might be here tonight or watching online that are just struggling with the feeling of loneliness and they feel isolated. Whether it's here at City Life or a church somewhere, I pray that people would discover the gift of your family. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.